Hello and welcome to Encouraging Others in Loving Jesus. I'm your host, Kim Smith. We're on episode 170, Being Spiritually Prepared for All God Assignments. As I have been dwelling on the stories from the life of David over the last few weeks, I've been contrasting, compare and contrast, I guess, the story that we overviewed last week and comparing it to the part we're going to go through this week. So for those of you who weren't with us last week or maybe somehow or another you don't remember exactly what we covered, which, you know, if I wasn't the one doing the podcast, I probably wouldn't remember as much either. We were talking about how excited King David was to finally be the king of all Israel. You know, as a teenager, God had anointed him to be king of Israel, but it was somewhere in the ballpark of 15 years before any of that dream was realized. So David becomes king of Israel, and one of the things he wants to do, first and foremost, is to return the Ark of the Covenant well, I won't say return to Jerusalem, but to put it, put the Ark of the Covenant, which for them was the presence of God. God met with them at the Ark of the Covenant. He wanted to return the Ark of the Covenant to the center of the Israelite life. And we saw last week where David got 30,000 of his troops and I don't know how he picked the people who were going to be walking alongside. And they began to start bringing the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. But it doesn't go so well in the fact that they kind of like hit a bump and the Ark begins to fall and a guy named Uzzah begins to try to catch it. And in the midst of it, he touches the Holy Ark of the Covenant and God strikes him dead. We talked last week about this particular story and how just disturbing it can be to us. Why in the world would God strike this man dead? I mean, he's just trying to do something good by making sure that the Ark of the Covenant doesn't fall. But we had to put ourselves in the context. We had to look back at just what the Ark of the Covenant was and the instructions that God had plainly given to the Israelites as to how the Ark of the Covenant was to be approached, how the Ark of the Covenant was to be transported, who was to do the transporting. In other words, we talked about how we approach the holy. Whether it be holy things such as the Ark of the Covenant, or the Holy One, that being God Himself, or how we approach our own bodies, because if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We talked about the importance of not hastily approaching the Holy, and not approaching the Holy in a manner that is unworthy. 
we see that when it comes to the Lord's Supper, you are not to participate in the Lord's Supper, a sacred ritual in our faith. You are not to approach the Lord's Supper if you have sin in your heart. And so this week, we're going to take the next part of the story and we're going to see how that David kind of did a, a retake and he stepped back. And we're going to see that in 2 Samuel 6, 9 through 15. And I'm so thankful that we have two accounts of this next segment of what is going to happen because the account in 2 Samuel is pretty limited. Whereas the one in 1 Chronicles 15, it is lengthier, it gives more detail, and even though we are going to allow it to go just a verse or two beyond when it comes to 1 Chronicles, you know, next week we're going to be talking about how David's wife, Michael, responds or reacts, probably is a better way to put it, to his... Uh, his style of worship, let's put it that way. So that's what we'll talk about next week. But for this week, we're going to hang with this whole idea of being ready for God assignments. David had given himself a God assignment of transporting the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. The problem was he didn't prepare himself, nor did he have the people prepare themselves for this momentous occasion. It was supposed to be that only the Levites, in other words, only the priestly clan, were to carry the Ark of the Covenant, and they were carried, they were only going to touch the poles, they weren't going to touch the Ark. And we saw that not only was it not the people who were supposed to do it, but they had the Ark on a cart. I just, the picture has just never been good to me. It's supposed to be, you were supposed to hold these poles so that you couldn't come in any way, shape, or form, touch the Ark. This is the Ark of the Covenant that was only supposed to be approached once a year, and that was by one priest who had the incredible responsibility of being able to represent the people in the Holy of Holies. And here they are putting the Ark on a, on a cart and, and just trying to head down the road. Huh. How often do we do things like this where we, it's not that we have bad intentions. We really want to do something for God, but we're not spiritually prepared for a God assignment. And hopefully this week is going to help you be more prepared for your God assignments. So let's look at 2 Samuel 6, 9 through 15, and then we're going to go on to 1 Chronicles 15, 11 through 29, which gives much more detail. So it says, this is what happened after, after Uzzah was killed and David was angry. David was angry at God because he's like, why in the world did you do this? But he's had time now. He, he's stepping back and going, wait a minute. Like, I didn't think this through and Uzzah's death is on my conscience. In verse 9, it says, David was now afraid of the Lord. And he asked, how can I ever bring the ark of the Lord back into my care? So David decided not to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom of Gath. Wait a minute. It just, like, hit me there. Like, where did he take it? He took it to 
a non-Israelite. He took it to Obed-Edom of Gath. Well, I don't, I don't know that he asked God where he was to take, but it says, Then the ark of the Lord remained there in Obed-Edom's house for three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his entire household. And I am so thankful that God chose to bless Obed-Edom because that could have been disastrous of having the responsibility of the, having the Ark of the Covenant and you are not in any way, shape, or form in a spiritual sense ready to house God, so to speak. Wow. Whoa, whoa, whoa. But I do appreciate that what David was trying to do was he was trying to take a step back. He realizes, obviously, I did not think this through well. And so he decides to take some time and begin to make a proper plan, like to ask the Lord, how do we transport the ark, which he should have done beforehand. But how many times do we do stuff like that where we march on into something and we get in the middle of it and then we're like, wait a minute, this isn't going too well. God, like, how do I do this? Instead of saying, Lord, is this something you want me to do to begin with? I'm going to flash back just for a moment, back to Joshua 7. So for those of you who have been with us since the early days, I went through the book of Joshua first. I love the book of Joshua. And so you're going to hear me refer back quite often. So Joshua and the Israelites have just seen God do amazing things with the battle of Jericho, where they pretty much just had to show up walk around, and God caused the walls to come down. And one of the things that God told them, though, was you are to take nothing from Jericho. Jericho is just a black eye. And, and, and God's like, no, you do not take anything or anybody except for Rahab and her family, which God had promised to rescue. And flash to Joshua 7, so there's a little community named Ai, and it seems like tiny and nowhere near as difficult to deal with as Jericho. And instead of Joshua and the leaders doing what we're seeing David do and stepping back, looking, asking the Lord, how do you want us to approach? They just took their common sense and said, hey, there's not many of them. We don't have to send many. This is going to be a no-brainer because they've just seen this battle with Jericho, the Jericho that was supposed to never be able to come down, and they've seen it come down. And so they got overconfident, and they also just didn't take it to the Lord. And they march in and get whooped. That's a country term. But in other words, they got beaten badly, and they had to run out of there. And then Joshua and the elders are face down going, God, why in the world did you let this happen? And they're just all upset. And God's like, you know, you can kind of get off that high horse because there's sin in your camp. And Joshua and the leaders are, you know, they're trying to figure out who. And God shows them a way to find out who brought the objects out of Jericho that weren't supposed to be touched. So they go through this ritual. You can go back to Joshua 7 and read it. And they break it down. And finally, it's this man named Achan. And he had taken these items for himself. And so in other words, he had 
harbored sin and the Israelites had carried carried that sin with them into the next battle and as a result they got beaten badly because they didn't assess before they went into this God assignment and they didn't even ask God what do you want us to do and they walk in and it's disaster just like what happened to David and to Uzzah and by the end of that they have purged themselves of Achan and his entire family as hard as that is to read so that the sin is obliterated and then they ask God, now, God, in Joshua 8, how do you want us to fight Ai? <laughs> and amazingly, God tells him exactly what to do, and it turns out so much better. And that's really what we see with David here. Verse 12, it says, Then King David was told, The Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's household and everything he has because of the ark of the God. So David went there and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with a great celebration. After the men who were carrying the ark of the Lord had gone five, uh, six steps, David sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf, and David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly garment. We'll talk more about that next week. So David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and blowing of ram's horns. And if you just have this account, if you're like me, you're like, well, what did David do differently this time except for watch the speed bump so that the ark did not fall off the cart? But I'm so thankful for the account in 1 Chronicles. So if you don't know this, so you've got 1 and 2 Kings, which were really one book, and 1 and 2 Chronicles, which were also one book. And both of them talk about the kings of Judah and of Israel. But the writer of the book of Kings, he doesn't take a David slant. He talks more about Israel and he's, when David and anyone from David's household does wrong, he doesn't hide that fact. The person who wrote Chronicles has a significant David slant, and they wrote it for different reasons and to different audiences. So when you're reading, and let's say you read about Jehoram, which is one of the just saddest, 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 saddest people who ever lived. Sadly, he died to no one's regret, so you, you can't get much worse than that. But when you see the accounts in the two different books in Kings and Chronicles, you're, you're like, wait a minute. Like, if I read this in one and I read it in the other, like, I'm so thankful that I have the one that gives more information. And that's where we are with First Chronicles. So as we continue to walk through the book of First Samuel, I'm going to continue to add in parts from First Chronicles. And then when we're talking about First and Second Kings, whenever that might be, then we're still going to look at First and Second Chronicles because when you take them together, you get a more full picture. Last week when we were talking about Uzzah, I used a little bit of this section here because we can see what David did to prepare appropriately this week, which made it really obvious what he hadn't done in the first run 
that involved Uzzah and his death. So 1 Chronicles 15, 11 through 29, and this has really just come out of genealogy. And then we have, then David summoned the priest, Zadok and Abiathar, and these Levite leaders, Uriel, Azai, Joel, Shimei, Eliel, and Amenadab. He said to them, you are the leaders of the Levite families. You must purify yourselves and all your fellow Levites so you can bring the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, to the place I have prepared for it. Because you Levites did not carry the ark the first time, the anger of the Lord, our God, burst out against us. We failed to ask God how to move it properly. So the priests and the Levites purified themselves in order to bring the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, to Jerusalem. Then the Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders with its carrying poles, just as the Lord had instructed Moses. So there is so much in there, so much. So in the first run, David's intentions were not bad. It's just he didn't stop. He didn't ask God, how do we bring the ark to Jerusalem? Who brings it? He didn't ask. We've just seen him do such a good job with the battle of the Philistines where he's like, God, how do we fight this battle? What do you want me to do? But just like David, we do this all the time. We may have a moment where we really ask God and we see God do amazing things. But then we walk the very next day or the very next hour and we forget to consult him. We don't walk with him and ask him what to do. And so the first attempt, it's David calling for 30,000 of his fighting men and this group of Uzzah and family members to bring the ark. And when he does this again, when he's taking his three months to kind of step back and go, God, what do we do? He starts with the priest. Those from the Levite tribe exactly where he should have begun the first time, but at least he, after stepping back, he's going to do this right. Just like I said in Joshua 8, where Joshua and the leaders, when they got to face Ai again, they were prepared because, number one, they had gotten rid of the sin in the camp, and number two, they had asked God exactly how to do it. That's what David's doing. What did he do? He went to the right people, which was mainly to God and then to the Levites, and then he told them to purify themselves. In other words, they were to get all the sin out of the camp before they ever attempted to move the ark. 16. David also ordered the Levite leaders to appoint a choir of Levites who were singers and musicians to sing joyful songs to the accompaniment of harps, lyres, and cymbals. So the Levites appointed Heman, son of Joel, along with his fellow Levites. Asaph, son of Berechiah, Ethan, son of Cushaiah, from the clan of Merari, and the following men were chosen as their assistants. Well, let me see if I can get through these, these people. Zechariah, uh, Jaziel, Shemarimoth. you got to look at this. You, you'll understand why I'm, I'm hopping through it. How about I just do the first initials here? J.U. Eliab. Then I, I can do that. M, M, E, I, E, M, and the gatekeepers, Obed Edom. Hey, he's still involved. 
and Jael. The musicians, Heman, Asaph, which when you look at the book of Psalms, you'll see quite a bit that has to do with Asaph, and Ethan were chosen to sound the bronze cymbals. And then we've got a whole list of people who were chosen to play the harp. And so you can go back and read the names because there are some of those really difficult ones. And then there were others who were chosen to play the lyres. Kenaniah, the head Levite, was chosen as the choir leader because of his skill. Barakiah and Elkanah were chosen to guard the ark. And then there's a whole bunch of names, very difficult to read, all of whom were priests who were chosen to blow the trumpets as they marched in front of the ark of God. Obed-Edom, Jehiah were chosen to guard the ark. And we will go through just a little bit of this next section, but we definitely will cover part of this next week. Then David and the elders of Israel and the generals in the army went to the house of Obed-Edom to bring the ark of the Lord's covenant up to Jerusalem with a great celebration. And because God was clearly helping the Levites as they carried the ark of the Lord's covenant, they sacrificed seven bulls and seven rams. David was dressed in a robe of fine linen as were all the Levites who carried the ark and also the singers and Keniah, the choir leader. David was also wearing a priestly garment. So all Israel brought up the ark of the Lord's covenant with shouts of joy, the blowing of ram's horns and trumpets, the crashing of cymbals and loud playing of harps and lyres. But as the ark of the Lord's covenant entered the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, yes, that is King Saul, looked down from her window when she saw King David skipping about and laughing with joy. She was filled with contempt for him. And we will talk about that next week. But, wow, what a difference between the trial run in which Uzzah lost his life and the real deal, we're going to walk with God, we're going to Worship God along the way. We're going to get everybody involved, including the worship leaders. You know, the first one kind of reminds me of planning a impromptu service in a church building. And the first time, you don't consult anybody. You don't consult the pastor. You don't consult anybody who's involved on the worship team. You just go and get the football team and you just walk in and you just attempt to have a service. And as crazy as that just analogy is, that's kind of what David did. <laughs> he got 30,000 of his troops and they just impromptu, like, let's take the ark. And the second time it was like, Okay, maybe we should talk to God since the Ark of the Covenant is where God meets us. And maybe we should do what he says. And maybe we should have a plan and we should get everybody involved because we are all celebrating the fact that the Ark of the Covenant is returning to the center of the Israelite community. Big difference. Big difference. But before we beat up on David, let's take a look at ourselves. If God were to give you a major assignment in his kingdom this very day, are you spiritually prepared to take it on? 
Or would you do like David and just run with what you have and hope that it was enough? Our weekly assignment feature is to pray two of my favorite verses that you've heard me pray over and over again if you've listened to this podcast much at all. To pray Psalm 139, 23, 24 for yourself each day this week and be willing to make any adjustments the Lord prompts. Because I don't know about you, but I want to be ready for my God assignments. I do not want to be like David and be caught off guard or to be like Joshua and his men and just think I got this when I have sin in my camp. I have sin in my life that I don't even realize is there. Psalm 139, 23 through 24 You've heard me pray this before, but I'm going to pray it for you now. But I ask that you pray it for yourself. I pray that the Lord would search you and know your heart, that he would test you and know your anxious thoughts, that he would point out any way in you that offends him, and he would lead you in the way everlasting. If I'm praying it directly for myself, I pray that God would search me and know my heart, that he would test me and know my anxious thoughts, that he would point out any way in me that offends him, and he would lead me in the way everlasting. But when you pray that sincere prayer and God answers and he shows you where the sin is in the camp, in other words, where your aching is hiding, then you need to be willing, like Joshua and the leaders, to deal with the sin in the camp. If God shows you it's in what what you're watching, whether it be on social media, whether it be on your television screen, whether it be on your computer, you better be ready to do what the Israelites did with Achan and totally obliterate the sin. Because if you keep the sin, you lose the power to do the God assignments. And at the end of our lives, which is going to matter? The sinful choices, the screen time, the relationships that were not of God. What's going to matter are the treasures that you've laid up for yourself in heaven and the people who are going to meet you there because of your witness for Jesus Christ. Today is the day. Don't be like Israel and go into battle thinking you got it when instead you have sin in your camp. Or like David, where you haven't purified yourself, you haven't consulted the Lord, you just take on a task with whatever is available and you flunk. It would kind of be like going into a major exam and never cracking a book. We have one life. We have one chance at this. David got two chances with the Ark of the Covenant. I thank God because he is a God of second chances. The Israelites got two chances to fight the battle of Ai, but sadly there were casualties as a result of their failed attempt the first time. And Uzzah was a casualty of David's failed attempt. 
May we not have casualties that are alongside us because we fail to consult the Lord. We fail to purify ourselves and keep ourselves prepared for any God assignment. I thank you so much for tuning in. Please join me next week as we look at the idea of worship. The idea of all-out lifting of ourselves to the Lord. And how that, that might not make others happy. But when it's all said and done, who is our worship for? Is it for the crowds? It should be for the audience of one. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please take a moment to share this with your friends, with family, with your enemies. I, I don't care. Like share, share, share. It's free to share, free to listen to. And you never know what God might do. I really do ask you to pray Psalm 139, 23 through 24. Put it on a note card. Put it, put it on a graphic and put it on your phone. And remind yourself each day to pray that prayer that God will search you and know you. And that he will point out any offensive way in you and lead you in the way everlasting. And you are be, will be willing to go and do. Oh, the stories we would have if we would lay aside the sin that so easily entangles us and run the race that God has set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, <laughs> despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. How about you live this week in a way that the Lord would clap for you? Not that the rest of the world would but that Jesus himself would be pleased with how you live. There's information at the very bottom of the show notes on the hidden episodes. The first 50 episodes have kind of fallen off of the major podcast platforms, but they're still on my Podbean site, and you can see the link down below. You can reach out to me if you've got questions and comments or just praise reports. That would make me so happy at EncouragingOthersAndLovingJesus at gmail.com. We have our Facebook group, Encouraging Others and Loving Jesus. And, you know, I just thank God. I thank God for checking chances. I, I do, but I want to do it right the first time. I want to, I want to stay so close to God that I'm not tempted to just go off on my own, but I will really listen for His voice, do what He says, and accomplish what he has for me in my limited time here on earth. To God be the glory, great things he has done and will do in my life and in yours if we will follow him with all we are, lay aside any weight that so easily entangles us, and run with patience, the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith.
And as we always say, to remember it's always a trust and obey kind of day. <music>